No? So Are you nervous? No, I don't know when we're starting. Oh, when are we going to start? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, we've actually already started. We're 11 seconds in. Okay. 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 Hold on. All right. Here, we're actually going to start right now. Welcome to Heart to Bark, a podcast for people who love their animals and want to learn more about them. I'm your host, Dr. Mark. Come, sit, and stay tuned as we talk about the health and well-being of our furry, scaly, and even feathery friends. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Heart to Bark with Dr. Mark. We actually have a guest today, and this is going to be an exciting podcast. We have Barry Romano. He is my exotic technician here at the clinic and is very knowledgeable in exotics husbandry and is my go-to when I have questions on exotics. So we're going to bring him on and we're going to talk about bearded dragons. So bearded dragons, uh, what I want to do is just let Barry take over a little bit. I want to talk about maybe just kind of what they are and, and a little bit about bearded dragons in general. Hey guys, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast today here with Dr. Mark. So the subject today is bearded dragons. And these guys are very well known, very popular. They're easy to find, easy to get. Misconception with this guys is they're easy. You know, the initial setup can be a little bit complicated. But once you get everything going underway, they can become very fun to have and easy to take care of. But You know, to start out with, I guess the main question you should ask yourself, are you ready to have a bearded dragon? Exactly. So, so where do they actually come from? So, so these guys, they're found in a lot of areas, you know, they can be found. A lot of people have the conception that they come just from desert lands, but these guys are actually, they can be found in arid and subtropical woodlands, savannas, deserts, uh, and scrublands. So they're not just you know, a desert dwelling animal, which a lot of people think these guys can actually be found in pretty humid and wet areas as well. And, you know, depends what more for type of bearded dragon, because there's more than one type. Ooh, that's, that sounds like it starts to get complicated. It does. But most of them do, you know, require the same care. Right. Uh, but, you know, just get it out of your head that these guys are strictly desert dwelling. Okay. And that's where I was going to go with that is, so we're going to want to mimic where they live, their habitat, whenever we start working on the husbandry and getting all this stuff together. So I guess that's going to be what we're going to talk about and look forward to that. But one quick thing I just want to ask about the bearded dragon itself. What is it with the beard? Where do they get their name? Why do they have that thing? So they actually do have a beard. And the name comes from what it is. It's a beard. Uh, and it puffs out when they're either exciting, the males when they're mating. And a lot of times they'll use it to tell you, hey, stay away. I don't want to be messed with. But it's a their signature. And it just you'll see it pops right out. Sometimes it can be different colors. So if you encounter a wild bearded dragon and the beard's out, leave them alone. Really? Yes. These guys actually in the wild, they're a lot more aggressive than uh, what they are in captivity. Is that typically when they're breeding or is that it doesn't matter? They just, they're just typically aggressive in general or? Yes. So these guys are solitary animals, so they're very territorial. So yes, if they are in the act of finding a female, they can be pretty aggressive or if they're just defending where they're at, which a lot of the times they take everything as a uh, threat. Wow. 
Okay, let's move on. I'm going to set up a scenario here. You know, I went out and I bought a bearded dragon. And what are some of the things when I'm going to purchase a bearded dragon? What do I want to be looking for? Do I want to go buy that smallest little one that they have? What do I want to look for when I'm purchasing one of these? So, yes, you know, when when they are young, there are some things that you can buy as kits, but a lot of times those kits don't provide everything or the proper lighting or uh, everything that you need. So even if you do buy these kits, there's a lot of modifications that you have to do. You know, personally, I always recommend that you buy your enclosure separately and then you do your research and buy everything else that you need because unfortunately, these kits aren't always the best way to go uh, when you first get your, uh, whether it's an adult or a baby. Okay. So let's dive off into housing, just housing in general. What do you typically recommend after I go and purchase this bearded dragon? What, what do you recommend that I buy for this guy? So it depends what you buy. If you buy a baby bearded dragon, you could start out with something as small as 20 gallons. You know, me personally, I always think the bigger the better. But of course, you don't want to dive into buying a six foot enclosure for a baby bearded dragon. So you can make a 20 gallon work for some time, but eventually you're going to have to move up. Usually an adult that can be kept in a custom built is usually what you're going to have to do at four by two by two. Or, you know, you can go bigger and a lot of the things that come with that is you have to buy the correct supplies for that. Okay. So say I buy this large enclosure and I put this little bitty bearded in it. It almost sounds like since you're saying they need to come from, you know, they come from an arid environment or multiple different types of environment. We're trying to mimic that. It seems like the larger my enclosure, the more I'm going to have to purchase or buy to try to create that environment. Yes. So, you know, if you're going to put a small bearded dragon in a large enclosure, it can be done, but the setup has to be a little bit more aggressive than what you would do in a 20 gallon tank. So for example, if you're choosing to go bioactive, which is, you know, the meaning of you're going to put everything natural in that enclosure with a substrate plants, which is beneficial, you know, you would have to really clutter up that large enclosure to make that small bearded dragon feel comfortable. So, you know, you're talking lots of plants, hides, climbing areas. That way we don't feel like we're just in this giant box with nowhere to go. Right. And so with that, what are some of the things from, you know, more of a substrate standpoint that we're going to put in there to provide that? So substrates, my recommendation for that would be a mixture of a place in with a topsoil. You can do like a 50-50 mix. Uh, you just have to play with it to you get it to where it holds burrows or the right humidity because these guys are known to dig. So you want to be able to provide that for brain stimulation. So a 50-50 mixture, again, of place and topsoil. And one, if you do have topsoil, that gives you the ability to put plants um, mm -hmm. and they can grow in the enclosure. So you mentioned brain stimulation. Is the husbandry offering that brain stimulation? What is, what is giving them the brain stimulation? Do they dig or are they, what are they doing? Yes. So one of them is digging. They do like to dig, especially females. You know, if you're female, they need to dig if they're going to lay eggs. But uh, brain stimulation could be as simple as a leaf litter. So providing sterile leaf litter, 
providing new plants, rocks, different basking areas. You don't want to just focus on one basking area. Hides, underground hides. So there's a lot you can do to stimulate brain activity with these guys. Wow, that sounds very important too, especially if they're going to be a solitary animal. Giving them some enrichment is crazy. Yes, and it's important because they have to be solitary. You don't want to house two bearded dragons. You know, if can be done. So if you see like in the zoo, they'll have multiples, uh, multiple bearded dragons in there. But you're talking about a very large enclosure where those animals can avoid each other. Ah, and um, get away. Yes. Awesome. With that, let's kind of move into maybe more of the temperature of the different areas. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, Barry, and then maybe even a little bit of the UVB, which actually kind of segues us into their diet. Uh, so that's kind of in the direction we're going to go here. So I'm going to let Barry talk a little bit about temperature, the ranges, and kind of what we need to look for there. Yeah, so these guys definitely need thermal gradient in their enclosure. So what that means is that you have to provide a cool side and a hot side. So it's very important. You know, these guys just don't want to be in the hot the whole time if they need to cool off it's important that you give them that option. They're very smart. So giving them the option to bask at different temperatures is important as well. So if you give them multiple options, say, hey, you know, today I want to bask a little bit more because I ate yesterday and I need to digest versus where I'm just trying to warm up and uh, we we don't need as an intense hot spot. So the temperature, you just said something really interesting. The temperature helps with digestion. Correct. Yeah. So these guys, they cannot digest your food if their core temperature is too high. Oh, wow. Yes. So that's very important as well, you know, purchasing the correct lighting to achieve that. So, and we don't have to dive off into actual name brands and things like that. Can you just give us an idea of maybe temperature zones that we should have? Yes. So young bearded dragons, they require a little bit more intense heat. You're looking at the ranges from 100 to 108 degrees. So it's pretty hot. Uh, So it's important for these guys, for their development, that they get those basking temperatures. Once you get into the adults, you can kind of drop down to the 80s, kind of high, low 90s, as they don't need that intense heat as they've developed already. So it is a differential from adult to a young bearded dragon of how much heat you need to provide for them. So what age range are you calling young to adult? Where should this transition start? So, you know, a lot of times it depends on size. Some of these guys might grow a little bit faster than another one. So, but usually these guys will mature around one year to two years and, you know, their size has a lot to do with that. So you don't necessarily just focus on their age. Um, it's, you know, how fast they're developing. Okay. And you mentioned that that makes good sense. Uh, you mentioned also kind of the, the heat variations. So say I set up my enclosure in the middle of my house and then all of a sudden I decide, hey, I want to move it next to the window and maybe I don't have windows that seal as well or there's a lot more sunlight. How do, how do I compensate my temperature? Do I put thermometers on the enclosure? What what am I doing with that? Because that's super important. I see that a lot in the clinic where people have moved their enclosures. Yes. So uh, if you're moving them, you know, whether it's under a ceiling fan or by the window, there's going to be more heat. You definitely have to take that into consideration and having digital thermostats in the enclosure for sure to monitor those temperatures. uh, It's very important, you know, and as far as windows, you know, there's 
a lot of things you could do, whether you put curtains to kind of keep a lot of that sun coming in because it's not beneficial to your reptile. You know, a lot of people think if you put your reptile by the window that they're absorbing UVV. They're not because those glass windows will filter out the UVV. Uh, interesting. I'm glad you said that because that definitely leads us into the UVB. Uh, I want to go ahead and touch base on that. So just explain what the important is. Well, one, what is it? What the importance is? And I think that's going to also then start to kind of lead us into our diet and what we feed these guys. So I'll kind of just let you take off with that, the, the UVB and kind of go into diet. So UVB is very important, whether you keep a snake, tortoise, uh, any type of animal, they're going to benefit from UVB. Even if you have a nocturnal animal, they still benefit from UVB during the daytime. And what it is, is a way of looking at it is keeps everything alive. So give you an example. If you take a plant from outside and you bring it inside, it's most likely going to die since it's not receiving that UVV that it was used to. Same thing with reptiles. And these guys are actually forgiving in the beginning when you don't provide UVV. But as time goes on, you're going to start to notice, hey, something's not right. And it's something that's very common in the reptile trade, you know, running into issues from not providing UVV. And what it does is, you know, it helps synthesize vitamin D3 which uh, is going to help the brain, digestive system. You know, it can even help with bacteria, infection. So it has a lot of benefits to it. Right. And so there's several different light bulbs, light types, everything that puts out this UVB. And probably from a medical standpoint, me here, Dr. Mark, one of the big things we see is metabolic bone disease. And and we actually take x-rays on these guys looking for this. And so that's something we're not, this podcast is not necessarily about MBD, but just want to just stress the point that, that the UVB is very important and there's a lot of options out there for these light fixtures. And I think one of the big things maybe we need to mention is, is what is the life expectancy of a light bulb? And even though it's still putting out light per se, is it really putting out the UVB rays that we want? Yes. So, you know, unfortunately, like you mentioned, we see a lot of metabolic bone disease. So with these lights, you know, depending on what brand you get is their lifespan. So for example, you know, recommendation we always go to is going to be Arcadia. And it depends how you're going to set it up, uh, what type of bulb you're going to choose. And I'll give you an example. There's a T8 and a T5. So A T8 is usually mounted inside the enclosure. The reason why is because it doesn't have as high output as a T5. So these are still great light bulbs, but they're a little bit more tricky if you don't have a custom built enclosure because you have to find a way to kind of zip tie it under the mesh. So I always recommend if you have a mesh top that you just go with a T5. And a T5 can go on top of mesh because it's a high output and it will penetrate the mesh and won't filter out as much as a T8. So you have to be aware that mesh does filter out UVV just like a window does to the sun. So how often do you recommend changing the light bulbs? Yes, so Arcadia, they are labeled for one year. 
Uh, and like you mentioned, even if they are still working, you still want to change that light bulb because it's not going to be putting out the appropriate yeah, UVV that you need. And then if you use Reptisun, which is a great brand as well, they are recommended to change every six months. Some people change both of them in six months to be proactive. But, you know, there's been a lot of uh, research done in these bulbs and Arcadia is probably going to be the, the best way to go. And it lasts a year. Yes. And so lighting is super important if you haven't caught on to that. And, you know, the UVB is super important as well. Metabolic bone disease is something we see quite often. And so temperature, lighting, all of that falls into a couple of different things that I want to move into now. I'm going to skip over diet for a little bit and I'm going to go into, because it still deals more with temperature, is brumation. So I want to really touch on brumation because brumation is a temperature issue and it can change the way that your bearded acts and is actually metabolizing. And it's not necessarily a problem, but I'm going to let Barry take over a little bit on brumation, what it is and kind of what, what to expect. Yeah, so uh, brumation, it does happen in these guys and it always surprises people. You know, we get them in there. And there's my bearded dragon's not doing much. Um, and a lot of times, so we go into going over husbandry. And if they're doing everything right, it's usually related because, you know, they are cold-blooded animals and they go through this during the winter. Most bearded dragons, they can start brumating around 10 months. And this is completely normal. And it's a little bit difficult to estimate the length of the brumation, you know, because you have to put a lot of things into consideration, such as health, size, age, uh, gender, or where they're from. So it's, it can happen, it's normal, but you don't want to let it happen if your beard or dragon is not healthy. Correct. And so one of the big things or points that I would make with brumation is if your bearded is not eating, it's moving slower, the temperatures have dropped a little bit, then, you know, for them to go into brumation is not necessarily a bad thing. One of the big things that I recommend is that you weigh these guys as long as they're not losing weight, they're otherwise healthy and not losing weight, that is a sign that they're in brumation. Now, if they're not eating and they are losing weight, that is a sign they are sick. And so we get this all the time where they come into the clinic, my, my beard is not eating, and we ask them, did you weigh them? Have you been consistently weighing them? If they're otherwise acting normal but slow and they're not losing weight, that is definitely a sign of brumation. Not a problem in a sense, but working with your lighting, your heat, all of that can correct that. Yes. Yeah, so those are all great points. You know, it, it can be beneficial. And a lot of times it's recommended for, again, to stimulate normal brain activity because this is something that they would do in the wild to prepare themselves when the weather changes. So like Dr. Mark pointed out, you know, weighing, keeping track of that because these guys will still eat when they're in brumation. So it's not like a hibernation, you know, where we're completely out. Uh, these guys will still get up and want to eat and go right back to sleep. You know, they're probably going to sleep. 90% of the time, some, some of them burrow. So that's where substrate again comes into play. So if you have a healthy bearded dragon, it's encouraged. You know, if you think there's something wrong, then definitely recommend seeing your vet 
and addressing if, uh, you know, we need to let them go into brumation or not. Correct. And so you can basically keep your temperatures at a point that they will never go into brumation. Yes, you can. You know, and there's actually a lot of studies that have been done that they're their growth is related to heating. So a lot of times these guys can grow very fast because they've been kept in their intense heat, which shortens their lifespan. Or if they're kept at the proper temperatures, you know, they won't grow as fast and they, they'll maintain a normal body condition. Right. So that's, you know, if you have more questions about rumation, obviously, you know, contact your veterinarian or give us a call or a shout. But we kind of mentioned eating and how much they would eat and in, in, in a normal temperature setting or in a brumation setting where it's a little bit cooler. So that just kind of lets us move into diet. What are bearded dragons? What do they eat? And, and kind of how do we assess that and, and go through that? And I'll let Barry take over again. So bearded dragons, they are omnivores. Uh, so a lot of people think these guys are only insectivores which, you know, they do eat a lot of insects, but most of their diet should consist of greens, you know, and you can do fruits as well, but you definitely don't want to overdo the fruits due to the a lot of sugars. So you definitely should feed lots of greens, you know, your vegetables and some of the insects that you can feed is going to consist of crickets, dubia roaches, mealworms, hornworms. These are all great things to feed, but you definitely don't want that to be the main source of food for these guys because it could cause a lot of issues like gout, high uric acid levels. Um, so you definitely want to watch what you're feeding. Yeah. And so that that's all very good points. And, and my question is, I'm sure a lot of people ask, how often do you feed them? So, you know, most people have a lot of reptiles, snakes, and different things, and they all eat at different timing schedules. What do beardeds need? So these guys, it depends, you know, how active your bearded dragon is. Uh, if you have a very social active bearded dragon, because these guys are very prone to obesity. So if you have a nice, these guys should be nice and slim, just like they are in the wild. So if you got a nice, healthy, active bearded dragon, you know, feeding every other day is fine. You know, if you have one that you either got from somebody or, you know, they're pretty obese, uh, you definitely cut back on protein and just stick with your fruits and veggies. But, you know, a nice healthy bearded dragon every other day, every two days, and you can always offer greens. Uh, you know, that's not going to have an effect on our, our get, gaining weight too right. fast. Obesity and yeah, stuff. Obesity, yeah. Obesity, yes. So, so, you know, we kind of covered the food here. What about water? Do I just leave a little bowl in there? Do I leave a large bowl that they can get in and, and get wet? What do we do with water? So with water, you know, there's a lot of debate uh, with bearded dragons that it's unhealthy to leave a bowl of water in the enclosure, which, you know, is just not true. Like we talked about before, these guys are known to be from wetlands. Of course, there is certain amounts of humidity that will cause problems such as upper respiratory issues and such. So having a bowl of water in your enclosure is not going to be an issue for your beard dragon if everything's set up correctly. You know, if you have a 20-gallon tank and half of the enclosure is water, yes, you're going to have problems. But, you know, having a bowl of water that they can even soak in is not going to be an issue because they need moisture in their lungs just like everything else. Um, so, I always recommend, you know, that, that you provide a source of water and it doesn't have to be large, but even it can be large enough for them to soak in. 
Awesome. Barry, I think we've covered quite a bit. Is there anything you would like to add just from your experiences in general with Beardids that, you know, some people listening to the podcast may want to know or, or be interested in? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely cool animals. They're fun to have if you got kids. I mean, they're very fun to have around. Just keep in mind that these guys do take a lot of work. You have to deal with bugs. If you're afraid with bugs, it's probably definitely not for you. And initially, it costs a lot of money. So if you can deal with all that, then, you know, these guys are definitely a really uh, good beginner reptile to educate you on keeping more complicated reptiles. And they're fun to interact with. They're very smart. So I think they're a very cool animal to have, especially if you got children and you want them to have a little project. Great. Well, Barry, thank you for being on the show. Enjoyed it. Lots of great information here, guys. If you like what we're doing, leave us a comment, leave us a note and uh, send us an email. Let us know if there's any other topics y'all want to hear about. Uh, Barry's full of information on the exotic side. If y'all have a specific species y'all want to hear about, send out a shout and we'll uh, try to get him back on the show. Uh, Barry, anything else? I think that's it. Thank you for having me. It was tons of fun and I hope we can do it again. Awesome. All right, guys, y'all take care and uh, we'll, uh, we'll hear from you next time. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this type of content, then hit that subscribe button for new episodes every week. For more information about this podcast or printable PDFs, visit our website at drmark.vet. That's D-R-M-A-R-K dot V-E-T. And feel free to email us about new topics to put on the show at info at drmark.vet. Also, check out our social outlets like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram to stay up to date with our activities. Thank you and have a great day.